Hello everyone, it's Curtis Reitzel and Matt Reitzel with the Wealth Building with a Purpose show. The place where we talk about everything real estate with a special focus on wealth building. Let's ride. All right, so we covered everything under Think a Million. Now we're moving on to the next stage of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor book called Buy a Million. So we're jumping into the first model here. Um, there's five models that we're gonna cover. The first is net worth model. Now, the three main important parts with this model is to path your money, budget your expenses, and track your worth. So Matt, you wanna jump into path your money? My main takeaway from path your money is to live off no more than 70%, and then there's a special something that you do with your 30%. So this 30% actually breaks down into 10% for investing, 10% for savings, and then 10% for tithing or charity. Okay. So every dollar that comes into your possession, basically you need to have a plan for it. And this is sort of a basic outline to say don't live on any more than 70%, and then pay yourself first. I mean, in an, in an ideal world, I'd actually put this 30% on top, and first thing before you even go to live right. your life, you invest, you put 10% aside for investing, so it's not like that money needs to immediately go into something, because if you're looking at it, say you have a paycheck every two weeks, right. it's not as if you're gonna take 10% and immediately invest it. Right. You might put it into an investment account where you're, playing, you're saving it up for a down payment or yeah. you're or you put it in the stock market or whatever your investment is, right? Yeah. So you 10% pay yourself first, 10% put it aside for savings, 10% tie it and give it away, and yep. then live off no more than 70%. And if you can get this number down, that's great. Put more into these. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And I think these are all, these are, I mean, like that's like a, you know, an awesome rule of thumb. I think at the end of the day, uh, there's definitely, I think it's just understanding the path of money and understanding that when money comes into your possession, you should automatically have a game plan for it. And a lot of investors that we work with, they have you know, what I like to call um, um, a deploy account. So they're just putting money into it, and then, like Matt was saying, they get a paycheck every two weeks, or they own a business, whatever it is, and they get paid, they put money in to the investment account, or a certain, a certain set percentage, a lot of the most successful ones do, and then, boom, once they have enough money to make a purchase, deploy it, they put it down into some real estate, and they buy another property. And then they, they build that account back up, and then boom, they, they just keep doing it. And I think it makes it real simple when you go to do your, your money, whether you do, um, you look at your money every week, every two weeks, every month, to have a set ratio, uh, and to look at it and say, boom, 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 here's what I do. It makes it real simple when you go to do your money. Instead of looking at it, well, I have all this excess money, what do I do? or I don't have any excess money, which is typically the situation, what do I do? It's nice just having you know, some ratios to follow, right? So, you good there? Yeah, okay, cool. So the next one is budget your expenses. I think the biggest takeaway here is having awareness of how, how much money it costs to run your life every, every month. So mortgage, rent, hydro, groceries, gas, all of it, and then know how much it costs to, if you run a business, how much it costs to run your business every month, and just really looking at your expenses, 
you're looking for, oh yeah, eraser. Um, really looking at your expenses and saying, how can I get my expenses as low as you can within reason? You obviously don't want to take out you know, the basic needs of your life. The goal is just to have awareness because I, yeah. think, I think a lot of us, um, we don't know how much we cost. We don't know our expenses. Your and monthly nut. Yeah, your monthly nut is a good way to put it. Your monthly nut. We don't know our monthly nut so that we, we don't know how much money we can actually invest. And it's just, you kind of just swing by every month and just kind of pray. And at the end of the day, if you budget your expenses, you know what they are. I would focus on this to an extreme level. I would just have some sort of awareness of if you do your net worth every week or every two weeks, look at all your expenses and say, hey, what was that? <laughs> the, what, the, you know, what's that $10 expense the bank charged me? Why did they charge me that? Or what was that you know, $15 thing I did? Oh, I bought Timmy's because I was, you know, I bought coffee because my willpower was low. Yeah, I whatever. Wherever you're at in your investment journey, it's a good practice to at least once a month. I would say it becomes a lot easier if you do it once a week and just looking at all the, all the things that, you, that you've expensed that week and just staying on top of it. Because I think with, I mean, with credit cards and online shopping and everything, it becomes really easy to let things get away right. from you. And you have, you know, um, all of a sudden you have a couple more extra monthly subscriptions or something. Like yeah. you got Netflix, you got the gym. Yeah. And it's just like money's going out. And then you, I've been in that position myself where your spending gets like out of hand. Yeah. You just don't realize what you're spending your money on because you're not looking at it. Yeah. And then a simple act of once a week, you just look at it and you see what you're spending your money on. And you're, it just gives you awareness. You need mm -hmm. to keep your expenses lower than your income. It seems like such an obvious thing to say. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how you're going to get that extra money to be able to invest. Yeah. Is keeping your expenses below that. And we've seen, and we've seen investors where they're not tracking their expenses. We keep harping, harping, harping on it to obviously do this. And they start tracking their expenses. We've seen all of a sudden their net worth goes from this number to a bigger number within like three to six months because they just said to themselves, I didn't realize I was spending all this money on all this stuff. <laughs> and they just cut it out. And a lot of them, it's not like they're doing it because they have like an, an addictive shopping habit or something. They just don't know. Like they just don't know what they don't know. And then once you have awareness of, okay, your monthly nut, like you had there before, you're able to better understand your expenses and how much it takes to run your life. So you're good there. Cool. The next one is track your net. We'll track your worth, which in financial terms, it's track your net worth. So as simple as it is, um, I know on the millionaire real estate investor by Gary Keller on, on his website, he has, a simple budget statement, um, a personal balance statement, sorry, that is assets minus liabilities, net worth. Pretty much you add everything up in the asset column, minus all your liabilities, your net worth, whatever that number is, track it. Because when they look, when Forbes goes out and they interview and they, they, they're saying, you know, the wealthiest you know, the individuals in regards to financially wealthy, because that's just one way to look at it, it's very subjective numbers. Um, they look at net worth, right? They look at assets minus liabilities, what's that number? And then they rank people based off of who has the biggest net worth and Forbes does that, right? Yeah. And the, it's reason why they're tracking net worth. It's a reason because 
that is kind of the, the scorecard. When you leave school and you're looking at a report card now, you're looking at income and expenses, assets minus liabilities. You're looking at two, those two report cards to then move forward in your life. And Gary Keller says it in the book, tracking your net worth is the golden goose. It's like, the, if you don't track any other number, it's your net worth. So this is something you should be looking at once a week. I would say have it as a so. weekly activity, if not at least once, at least once a month. You're just knowing where you're at, just adding up everything that you own minus everything that you owe, and you can make a spreadsheet that's very easy. Or just like you said, go on to the to the MREI website, yep. just downloading it from there. And I think this tracking your net worth, like I, like we were saying on budgeting your expenses, is just going to give you awareness because now you know your net worth is this. You know everything in your asset column, what you got to work with, you know your liabilities, you just know where you're at. Opportunity pops up, you know if you're able to do it or not. <laughs> you know if you're able to jump on an opportunity or if you should wait because you have to work out your budget, I mean like your, your balance statement a little more. It's just a, it's a never ending document. And it's real simple. We see investors overcomplicate the net worth statement. Just you know, get a simple Excel assets, liabilities, what's that number? How can you make that number grow? Yeah. So this is the net worth model. The second model in the buy a million part of the millionaire real estate investor is the financial model. So there's three main things that we need to focus on over time is equity buildup, cash flow growth, uh, buy it right, pay it down, pay it off. So let's start with equi equity buildup. The way that you build equity in real estate is through over time, potential price appreciation and debt pay down. So I don't know if you want to jump in on that one there. Sure. Yeah. So the, the price appreciation, I think is more of the, uh, the cherry on top, I think in this the equity buildup scenario, because you, you can't necessarily really rely on the price appreciating as much as you can rely on that the debt's going to be paid down. Right. Because as long as you're making your monthly payments, you're going to be paying down debt. Right. And then the price appreciation, obviously, if it's a single family property, it's a, a little bit more based on the market. However, if you're keeping your property looking nice, it's, it's likely going to be worth the same amount, if not more. Right. So then that, that spread between the price of the property going up and then the debt being paid down, that's where your equity, that number right there is, is the equity you have in the property and yeah. it builds, builds over time. time. Yeah, and I think this is a big part of what makes real estate so exciting is you have the ability to build equity in a property and also then at the same time have cash flow growth through, well, let's jump anyway, um, rent appreciation and then the debt getting paid off over time. So let's say if we fast forward, you know, 25, 30 years, you own that one property, you haven't done anything with the debt, you just kept that mortgage on, they kept taking away every month when the tenant paid, and now we look up and rents have appreciated. I know in our market we have rent control, so you're only allowed to increase it a certain amount every year. Some markets don't have it, here we do, so it, every year we're allowed to increase it um, based off of a certain percentage of government the government allows. If a new tenant comes in, obviously, um, if it goes vacant, then a new tenant comes in, we can get market rent, that's kind of beside the point. Either way, your rent more than likely will go up as prices go up, typically. 
um, which then affects your cash flow. Because on average, I mean, expenses do go up. Um, they do go up over time, but typically the rent goes up a little bit more. So then there is, there is um, obviously some cash flow growth that happens. And then we look up and whenever your mortgage term is done and the mortgage is fully paid off, now then you don't have that big debt service anymore. So now the mortgage is paid off, the rents have appreciated, however much they have appreciated, hopefully, um, and now you have a lot of cash flow there. So you have a paid off asset, you know, paid off an investment property with a lot of cash flow. I don't know if you want to jump in and jump in there at all. The whole, the whole sort of motto here is you're buying it right, you're paying it down, and then you're paying it off. And once it's paid off, now that 1500 a month rent that you're receiving, you no longer have a mortgage payment and now your cash flow is just is just exploded. Yeah. Because you might have had a thousand dollar mortgage payment on there plus some other expenses like yeah. utilities and now you don't have that mortgage payment anymore. I think that that's for you know, when you're in more of a mature stage of your investing career. I right. think at the beginning, once you have some equity in a property and your mortgage is you know getting paid off what a lot of investors will do is keep their properties mortgaged at around 70 percent they'll pull right. that money out right and then reinvest it keep recycling it yeah and then once you have a certain number of properties that you know is gonna that you're at your goal then you can start paying them off and then your cash flow number just skyrockets yeah and i think a general rule of thumb is on that example where matt's saying um to refinance, they keep their equity at say 30% or 70% uh, mortgages or maybe 60% mortgages, 40% equity in their overall portfolio as they start to scale. I think at the end of the day, if you're refinancing and pulling out money, I would highly recommend only doing it if you're buying more real estate, right? It's making sure that when we pull out money, um, unless it's maybe like another opportunity or whatever the case is, only refinance general rule of thumb if you're gonna buy more real estate to have that process grow. So what we see is people walk in to say pull out fifty thousand dollars in equity and they pay off some other debts. And, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying you know everybody's financial situation is different. Um, they might renovate their house or whatever the case may be. Our general rule of thumb is put that money back into that real estate because. If you walk into that money through owning that investment property, well, that's pretty cool. Well, now let's, let's make sure that we put that money away into real estate to have it happen again. So you keep yeah. the cycle going, right? So it's, it's, it's a long-term vision here of your whole portfolio growing. I have a segue on that too. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, jump in. So when you, you, were, you were touching on it there with refinancing a property and you're saying only, only refinance property if you're gonna spend that money to buy an investment property yeah. and I really believe in that because like you were saying if you were to come into $50,000 from a refinance and say you had $20,000 on a credit card and just put and just basically put 20 of it to pay off the credit card sure you would feel great and then right. what what happens for a lot of people oftentimes is history repeats itself right. and now all of a sudden you have $20,000 on your credit card again right and you didn't do anything productive with that with that refinance money. Yeah. Maybe you did something with the 30, it's just you could have did something with the 50 and probably got a better return on the money and made that more of a snowball. You, you were already servicing the $20,000 credit card 
loan anyways. Right. You should be, I think it's smart in most circumstances to look at other means of paying off that credit card right. versus just using the equity to solve the solution. It, it's, it's kind of a quick solution and a little bit more short-term thinking. Yeah, and we, my opinion. we have this conversation all the time because it, it's very attractive when you walk in and you have, when you walk in and do some refinance money, you know where they walk into it. You have refinance money available. It's very attractive to put that money and pay something off, say a credit card or go on an awesome vacation or whatever the case is. And everybody's situation is different. So when we start talking about pulling out money out of a refi and paying off, say, a higher interest debt, that's everybody's financial situation is different. So we need to make sure that we, we obviously say that. Because for some people, you know what, if they walk in you $100,000 in refinance, it might make sense for them to take 30 of it, pay off a high interest credit card. It might make sense for them. That might be the right move. For a lot of us, though, depends on where you are and your uh, in the career, right? In your cycle. What <laughs> you're getting at is saying, if you have a twenty thousand dollar credit card, you should pay it off through your own hard work. That's what you're saying. Like you should go to work, pay off that credit card yourself, because then you're going to prove to yourself. Well, you know, it's not as easy as because it's easier just to have that refinance money and pay it off instead of going to work yourself, paying that off, and then you realize. Oh wow, I pro- I should have, well, now I know how tough it is to get rid of that credit card debt. I'm not gonna have that happen again. And now you're more strict about your money, right? Yeah. yeah. I think to me it's, it, you made a good point. It is kind of about the person who you choose to be. Exactly. And just not, <laughs> I think I might be being a little bit of a stickler on it, just not taking the easy way out by just paying it off because obviously that's it just it's very alluring and very tempting i think solve it solve it in in a different way and use that refinance money it's just it's a good principle just only refinance unless like if you're going to use that money to buy more investment properties yeah or just pay it off like yeah just pay off the property all the way and never refinance it's there's so many different options yeah out there right i think this this overall following this financial model and letting like all this is going to happen to you over time and that's and that's the awesome part about real estate is you know you just buy the property you hire property management i mean we highly recommend property management and over time you're going to be building equity you're going to be building your cash flow and if you buy it right pay it down pay it off you're really going to be building this uh you know this this foolproof or empire of investment properties and wealth because you're following basic financial models here and if we if we notice too nothing like nothing like this has anything to do with flips <laughs> right this this none of this has anything to do with flips this has everything to do with buy and hold real estate that like doing a flip it doesn't it's not going to help you grow your equity or your cash flow it's it's a cash building it's cash building model it's a cash building model right right? and that this is more a wealth building model this is more long term and the the, not that there's anything wrong with flipping it's just it's just you need to realize that 
most flippers lose 30,000 on the first flip and that most people who have made really successful flipping businesses, their number one regret is that they didn't invest in real estate. They yeah. didn't hold on to any of those properties because as soon as they flip their last house, they no longer have any income. Yeah. So what, what do you do after that? Then right. you, you, might, you need to have a master in investing in a real estate or investing in something to have income. Right. And if they were to have just kept a couple of those flips right. and just put a tenant in it right. and then have it paid off, they would be laughing. You know, yeah. it's just, again, it's a matter of having that income and, um, you know, living a lifestyle that matches your income. Right. And then as soon as that income stops for whatever reason, let's say you can't work anymore or you don't get that, um, you don't get that contract or you get fired, whatever it is. Right. Now, now what do you do? You have this lifestyle that's was being paid for strictly by you trading your time. Right. And that's kind of a scary place to be in. I don't yeah. tend to be there when I'm when I'm thirty five or and and on. You know, it's invest in yourself first. One hundred percent. So as as we wrap up here, yeah, cool. So I'm gonna read a quick uh, part of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. So the this is the motto I want you to adopt. The litany I want you to repeat to yourself constantly. This is how you build your financial wealth through real estate. All this will become clearer when we in investigate the acquisition model, which we're gonna do, but for now I want you to internalize this three-part reminder, buy right, pay down, paid off. When you buy right, you make your money going in, you assure yourself of achieving the best equity buildup and cash flow growth. When you pay it down, you will be adding even more to your equity buildup. When you pay it off and continue to own it and rent it, you will build more and more net cash flow into your financial life you will have a growing stream of unearned income, your money will be working for you. This is the theme of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor's financial model. Buy it right, pay it down, pay it off. We hope you will make it your model as well. I love that part of the book. So that's the financial model. See you in the next video. Now let's jump into the network model of the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Really, there's three points that we're looking to cover here is working your network, maintain your network, and engage your network. And this more so is just a purposeful conversation around looking at your network and putting the right people in place so that you can go about your investments, go about building your investment property portfolio, and have the right people there to help you along the way. Because... Um, you know, together everyone achieves more, right? And nobody achieves success alone, as much as somebody would say I'm self-made. That's really hard to believe, <laughs> because at the end of the day, you have people along the journey with you that are helping you, that are guiding you, that are advising you, that are smarter than you, helping you make the best purchases and the best decisions in life, right? So really, in the middle here is the millionaire real estate investor, uh, so we're setting you up, if you're not a millionaire real estate investor, kind of getting you in your head there to be a millionaire real estate investor. Really, you have three layers to it, is your inner circle, your support circle, and your service circle. So the inner circle is gonna be, say, a mentor, a partner, a consultant, somebody that you're, the general rule of thumb is meeting with at least once a month, having some sort of dialogue with them, uh, whether it's your mentor, 
I recommend not spreading out with having so many mentors, only have one or two, I recommend, uh, and have that deep relationship with them to really help you advise on your purchases, what you're doing, your whole investment property scenario, and the goal would be to at least have a one-way communication face-to-face -face or phone-to-phone once a month. Um, I always like face-to-face. -face. I really believe that face-to-face -face relationships is how you build, and then over the phone is how you maintain. So I like the face-to-face -face um, part of you know networking, even though it is more time-consuming. Uh, do you want to jump into the next one there, support? Sure, yeah, so your support circle are gonna be people like having a real estate agent, property right. management company, your lawyer, those type of people. And these people you engage in more of a, as each transaction happens, as opposed to meeting every month, you meet, you require these people just as you're doing each deal. Right. And a great, I mean, moving on to the service circle, a great realtor and a great property management person is gonna fill in the service circle. So right. these are all the contractors, you need a handyman, a plumber, those type Store of people. Store removal, lawn cutter. Yeah, all, all of those Painter. service individuals are, are essentially gonna be covered if you have a good support circle. Right. Basically by knowing a good realtor and a good property management company, everything else is, is gonna, going to get filled in. Mm -hmm. And making sure that people, the obviously the person who you're mentoring with is where you're intending to be in right. the future with investment properties. Right. And people in your support circle also understand what your vision is right. with, with your properties and they understand how investment real estate works and they have ideally similar type of goals to you as well. Right. That's really going to make things move along a lot more smoothly and a lot quicker too. Right. Yeah, I would, um, I would definitely say overall, you know, inner circle is where you're gonna have focus more purposefully in having the deepest relationships um, that are extremely purposeful. And not to say you're not in your support and service circle. Uh, I would look at it as an investor watching this video right now on how can you go about building the most uh, amazing network of professionals, extraordinary individuals that are really gonna lift you up and help you grow where you intend to take uh, your financial wealth to, right? And this is just really a purposeful conversation because a lot of us just go about it haphazardly and we're not really thinking about, well, you know, like, who's the mentor of my life? And it's nice, like, in the book, they lay it out. Like, this is kind of a real simple one. They lay it out, like consultant, mentor, and then in support, you know, property manager, realtor. Like, they lay it out so that all, like, really a smart thing that you could do is print off the actual diagram from the book, slap it on your wall, and just say, okay, I don't have a mortgage broker, how do I find one? Okay, reach out to your realtor, or reach out to your property manager and say, I mean, who do you use? Or yeah. I need a contractor in your service circle, maybe just reach out to your property manager or your realtor and say, hey, I mean, who would you use? I just wanna have that relationship. I'm looking to convert a bundle into a duplex, I need to have a contractor. And just start kind of, you know, piecing people in. It's kind of like, you know, when CEOs are growing a business, they're looking at the organizational chart and they're saying, okay, I need to hire this person when I get to this sales, you know, and then I need to have this, 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 you know, all this staff in place, to then take it to the next level. It's the same thing here. We're just looking to have the right people on the bus so that you can have a really smooth ride uh, and have the best people there so that when you have um, some intense moments, 
where you need to be all on, you have the best people to rely on. You know, you have the best mentor, you have the best realtor, you have a network that is just amazing. And I think this, this was the whole purpose of the buy a million, um, the network model part, is work your network, maintain that network over time, and make sure to engage your network. We've seen a lot of investors, they, they build up somewhat of an awesome network, and they never reach out, right? Like they never reach out to that property manager that um, you know, even manages their own properties and says, hey, you know, how are things going? Or say, hey, let's go grab lunch. Yeah, the right? keeping in touch aspect is so, is so key because you're just staying on top of everything, right? I mean, yeah. like you said, uh, meeting in person is how you build the relationship and then on the phone you can, you can sort of maintain it. It's just that on the phone activity needs to happen more regularly if you're, if it's not gonna, if the relationship isn't gonna dwindle off, right? Yeah. And all these relationships are gonna be, they're gonna be give and take. It's just, you, you probably have some of these relationships already it's just, like you said, it's a very intentional way to look at the relationships and how to maintain them, realize the ones that you might, that you don't have yet, realize the ones that you do, how do I work on those, how do I fill in the blanks, and because you're going to need all these people, so start working on it right away, right? Yeah, and I would say it's like 100%, it's, it's kind of like the property manager example of, let's say you have a property manager that manages, let's say all 10 of your investment properties, right? And let's, let's just imagine that property manager probably uh, works with other investors. They probably manage other properties, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just imagine that. And they're managing all 10 of your properties, all good. You have some sort of a dialogue, it's great. And now all of a sudden an opportunity pops up because they're in the game all the time. An opportunity pops up, well, who are they gonna send it to? They're probably gonna send it to the person that they have a deeper relationship with. And how do you form that deeper relationship? By engaging them. Going to lunch every month or stopping by the property management office and just saying, hey, how are things going? I, you know, I, I wanna give you a quick gift or whatever it is, a small you know, bottle of wine, whatever, to just engage them so that when an opportunity pops up, when they walk across an opportunity, they're not reaching out to there are other 20 investors that they manage properties with, they're gonna reach out to you because you're engaging, you're keeping in touch with them and you just have a deeper relationship. It's all, it's all you know, you know, like having the, the mind share, right? And it's maintaining that mind share with your network so that they obviously can spot opportunities and they're gonna think of you. Just because they manage all of your properties and opportunity stumbles across their lap, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're just gonna, oh, you know, Curtis, I'm gonna send it to him. They could send it to Bob, right? You know, like another investor client they manage properties for. That's just one example with property management. Overarching conversation here is just think about your network more purposeful, make sure that you engage your network over time and uh, just look at it more like a business. Now we are at the fourth model of buy a million, which is the lead generation model. So these are the five laws of lead gen. The first is never compromise. Second is be a shopper, not a buyer. The third is timing matters. It really does. The fourth is it's a numbers game. And I put slash deal flow. We're going to talk about that. And the fifth is be organized in your approach on how you run your business. So do you want to jump in the first one here, Matt? 
Sure, yeah, never compromise. What this means in the book and to me as well is to have your criteria in mind that you're looking for for investment property and just sticking to that, sticking to your terms, not mm. you know paying more for a property than because you got emotional, right? right. If you if you think okay, this would make sense if I got it for a hundred thousand, don't spend a hundred and ten. Just stick to stick to your criteria, stick to your terms, stick to your conditions, and everything will work out in the end. Yeah, it's plain and simple. I agree, and I think if you're looking at enough opportunities, then you never feel that need, and we're gonna talk about that. You're never gonna feel that need to have to make a purchase because you just walked into some refinance money or you have capital on the side. You're now able to say, no, Mr. Seller, my offer is 200,000. I know you desire 210, my offer's 200. And you're able to never compromise on what your criteria and your terms are in making an offer, right? The second one is be a shopper, not a buyer. Now, really the point there, and they're all kind of in connect here. I mean, they interconnect a bit. Um, what I kind of get from this one is make sure that you're looking at a lot of deals so that you're able to walk away from an opportunity because it's better to, it's better to miss out on, on a good opportunity than buy a bad opportunity in my mind. So we just want to make sure that we have um, a really robust deal flow in relation to investment opportunities coming to your table to look at so that you never feel like, oh, I have to buy something right now. You can be a shopper, look around all the opportunities, constantly look at real estate and make offers, right? And I can touch on time yeah. that matters quickly. In the book, they mentioned either being the first person to the table with an offer or the last person. So say, say it's a bit more, it's a bit hotter of a market and a property comes up that's within your criteria. Being the first person to the plate with your offer is likely gonna be the only opportunity that you have of getting that property before somebody else does. And then you can lay out your strict terms and your criteria for that offer. And if they go for it, great. If not, then it's going to somebody else and that's fine. At least you had that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Or being last to offer if the mark, if a property's been on the market for a while, right. the seller might have had offers before that didn't work out. And now you you can be a solution to them because they've been on the market for a while, right? Exactly. So timing timing's important. Yeah. The fourth is um, it's a numbers game. The quality is in the quantity, and then I put deal flow. Really, what I'm in, you know, really what I desire to touch on here is that, like, like we were saying before, you need to have a lot of deals coming in. So deal flow opportunities to look at so that you can then play the numbers game, right? Because you need to look at X amount of properties to underwrite X amount of properties, to put offers on X amount to then get an accepted offer. Like, it, like it's a funnel, right? So you need to consistently be looking at opportunities and then it creates an abundant mindset for yourself because like I said before, you never feel like you have to make an offer. You never feel like you're pressured to buy something because you don't have opportunities. It all starts with making sure that we have um, a very big pipeline of deals. And just, yeah. Make sure we have a lot of numbers to look at. From abundance. Yeah. Sure. So then when you're looking at something to offer on and you're dealing with a seller that says, no, I'll only take 210 and you're offering 200, well, maybe, maybe you don't say it to the seller. At least in the back of your head, you can think to yourself, well, okay, cool. I got 10 other properties that all match my criteria that I'm ready to go on. So I'm gonna go offer on them. And that could be some sort of motive. I mean, like that could be some sort of a uh, way to negotiate with that seller. 
because mm-hmm. now you can actually be honest with them and say, well, no, I mean, I get 10 other properties that match my criteria. I'm going to go offer them. So the next one is to make sure to be organized in your approach of lead generation. And I'd say the biggest one is having a database full of, say, like, let's say you're interested in a farm of properties, like an area of a hundred properties that match your criteria and you're sending, um, say mailers out to that neighborhood. Well, at the end of the day, that all kind of doesn't matter unless you have them in the database, you're organized, you're able to follow up with them and touch base with them. I'd recommend having your network in there as well, all your professionals. Just make sure that you're organized in your approach on how you go about this business because we see it so often where you know you write a note. I mean, if you write you know an opportunity on the back of a notepad and then it never makes it to your database, Right. And you don't need to have anything extremely robust. Like you don't need to have a, a million dollar database. I don't even know if those really exist. You don't need to have this crazy database, Excel sheet could work well. Yeah. Just have a place where you can consistently keep all your opportunities organized. So anything else you want to touch on there? No, it's perfect. Yeah. So this, this is the five laws of lead generation. Never compromise. Be a shopper, not a buyer. Timing matters. Numbers game. Be organized. Follow these rules. Cool. So five million fifth model is the acquisition model. And you have two sort of main sides that you can pick here. You can either be in the cash generating platform or you can be in the wealth generating platform. And the main sort of idea on the cash building platform here is you're, you're doing deals to build the amount of cash that you have. So right. this is usually you're finding and assigning deals or you're buying and selling or you're buying and improving and selling and right. just building up the amount of cash that you have in, a, in, a, in your bank account. Right. And then the wealth building platform, this is where you're Basically, there's no selling at the end of it. You're buying and renting out a property or you're buying, improving, and renting out a property. And this is more of a long-term. This is personally where I like to be. Mm-hmm. It's more of a long-term move because you're actually holding on to the properties. Right. Right? And do you have any... Uh... Yeah, I would say the overarching sort of theme here is this, this can be... I mean, the cash building platform can be a way to... Uh, obviously grow your cash reserves and then make a purchase. That's how, that's how I would look at the cash building model is it's just a way to build some cash. You know, you find and assign a deal, you buy and flip a deal, whatever the case may be, you make some cash. It's just, I would look at it as a way of building up some cash reserves to then hop in and go to the wealth building platform. Like this is where you really intend to end up at because this is buying and holding real estate, buying and holding a business, right? So it's kind of like if you look at it and say, like, like if you're buying and selling businesses, let's just say, for example, it's the same sort of philosophy that you're using it to build up your cash to buy and sell, and like you're buying and selling businesses to then hopefully then you would buy and hold a business. I think the buying and the actual, you know, keeping the business or the real estate you know, within your grasp, but under, you know, I mean, under your control is where you're going to build the most amount of wealth. And it's like we were saying before, it's the price appreciation, debt pay down and the cash flow growth over time that then allows you to build uh, massive wealth over time. So this, this, this is where true wealth is built. And a lot of the time, the reason why we're 
you know, like illustrating it this way is that, you know, you hear all these different terms, you hear all these different investment ways of going about doing real estate and it can make it really confusing. But you hear, I mean, like you say, you know, find and assign, um, you know, buy and flip, you know, you hear like buy, renovate, you know, refinance, rent, like you hear buy, renovate, sell, like you hear all these different terms and it kind of can get confusing on what this actually is. I wouldn't even really call this like investing at all. This is really like, it's not really investing because you're just building cash. This is more so investing. Like that's where you're going to build long-term wealth. And I think taking all these different ways of going about real estate investing and building wealth in real estate and just narrowing it down to two platforms, I think is really makes it a lot easier to think about. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it really simple to look at, well, Hey, am I in, am I in the cash building platform or am I in the wealth building platform? Because a lot of us will look up (laughs) and we're in the cash building platform, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just acknowledging, okay, I'm in this platform. I'm over here. Well, how can I get over to the wealth building platform? How can I start looking at my, my whole investment business and how can I start building wealth? Because it was like you said before, um, you know, we've heard and met with clients that have done dozens and dozens and dozens of flips. And one of their, their biggest regrets at the end of the day is that they didn't buy and hold any real estate. So now we're looking up and they built a bunch of cash. And then now on their last flip, they walk into some money, they make a profit. And now they don't have any other equity being built. They don't have any cash flow coming in. And, you know, they didn't actually invest in real estate. So don't end up like one of them. I mean, they don't end up like that investor. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't have a bad life because they flipped, I think it was like hundreds and hundreds of homes and they made a lot of money along the way. So I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad way of going about things. It's just now if they choose to retire, they have to continue to run a business, whether they hire people to run their business for them to continue flipping homes. And I think it's very market sensitive and you have to time things really well. And I think the cash building platform, there can be a lot more risk than just buying and holding for long-term equity build the cash flow, right? So this is the acquisition model, the last model of buy a million. We'll see you next video.